It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome back to AusBiz and hello, a warm welcome from Barangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two experts, one hour. I am Danielle Akuye. Our two experts on today's show and here for the full hour. Joining me is Daniel Ortiz of The Stock Doctor via Skype. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, good to be here. Uh, some good collection of stocks today, so I'm sure it'll be very interesting. Absolutely. And David Novak from Wealthwise Education. David, thank you so much for coming into the studio. Pleasure to be here. On this Friday, with not so much of a Friday market, I'm afraid, but nevertheless, let's get on to our stocks of the day. And uh, the first five stocks we have are Nickel Industries, Sandfire Resources, Webjet, Aluka Resources, and JB Hi-Fi. And the stock of the day is Wes Farmers. And uh, Wes Farmers has logged near 5% annual profit rise in its full year earnings, boosted by a strong performance in Bunnings, Kmart and its chemicals, energy and fertilizers unit. The company's board announced a fully franked final dividend of just over $1 per share. Shareholders can expect to receive the final dividend on October the 5th. On the outlook, the company expects elevated inflation and higher interest rates to continue to impact customers who are trading down to lower priced retailers and products. So let's get an opinion from our experts on Wes Farmers, which I think is one of the only stocks trading in the green today. So David, tell us, mm. what do you think? How is this looking technically? Oh, look, technically it looks great. And fundamentally, I mean, the results really um, were very solid, um, exceeded expectations. I mean, Bunnings, especially in Kmart and um, Officeworks. So, you know, it's uh, impressive. Look, on, on the chart, you can see there, it's been tracking sideways. It still needs to technically get above those previous highs. The question is, will it? I'm not quite sure about that right now. It's definitely a hold for me at, at this stage. Um, you know, I wouldn't be aggressively buying with the outlook statement as well, just going forward with the economy. So I'd be very cautious. And like you said today, with the, the market being um, down as much as it is, uh, impressive performance. It's one of the few stocks in the big cap area that's up. So, but good set of numbers, uh, impressive. So, and, and an increase in the dividend. So, it, it's a good, you know, it, it'd be investors or shareholders would be cheering the result today. That's what, and clearly the share price reflects that today. Mm, a nice, uh, I think it was a 6% lift in the final dividend, something mm. of that order of magnitude, which is always really quite an encouraging sign for a company. Absolutely. I mean, it's just a very well-managed business. You can mm. see consistent, um, over, especially with the Bunnings stores. And, uh, you know, they just, um, yeah, just keep rolling it out. And it's, it's quite surprising the result they got today, which is, again, 
uh, very uh, good news for shareholders and uh, with the increased dividend as well. So really not much else to, to add to that, but just be a bit cautious going forward, I think, with Abs- the economy. Yeah, absolutely. So Daniel, is this a case of a great uh, conglomerate? We don't see many conglomerates uh, in our current environment. Once upon a time, they used to be flavor of the month back when I was an analyst. But are we seeing a classic case in point of how these diversified businesses provide some form of buffer to cyclical changes in our economy? Yeah, I think that's a fair comment, Danielle. And obviously, you know, West Farmers, it, it has so many different divisions in, in so many different areas that, you know, it's almost um, by probability that when one area is performing really well, you might have another performing poorly. But I think what this result highlighted is that the underlying businesses are, are actually outperforming kind of, you know, general industry expectations. I, I think Bunnings even um, still showing like-for-like sales improvements, even though the last few years have, have shown um, excessive growth. I think it's a really great result. So we, we like the company. We've had pretty good conviction on it um, for the past year. It's been one of our kind of key holdings. Um, obviously, we're, we're positioned a bit more defensively, so we really value um, what this business provides. And in regards to the lithium assets, um, you know, the timeline has been pushed back recently um, over the last six months. But you know, I, th- I think that kind of overhang is now pushed through. Um, and from comments today, they seem quite confident of, of the timeline there, which I think will be a big addition going forward in terms of earnings as well. So you hold it. Is, it, is that make it a hold for today rather than uh, a buy? Yeah, very happy to hold it. I, I think it's tough because the valuation mm. of the company, is it's actually improved mm. over the past year. So I probably would have said previously you'd like to pick this up around $40, but I think you probably have to revise that a bit higher. Some of the businesses have, have just outperformed. So, um, But at the moment, this price, you'd, you'd be happy to hold. Uh, okay, thank you. I'm going to have to um, just pat myself on the back because I had to pick a stop for the Australian Shareholders Association last uh, November, end of November, December, and Wesley's was my pick. So pat to me. (laughs) Anyway, I don't make stock recommendations. I was just asked to last year. So let's crack right on. And our first stock of the day is Nickel Industries, ticker code NIC picked by Howard. So David, I was having a look at this. It's not one that I was particularly acquainted with. Mm. Two billion market cap, very low cost nickel, pig iron, um, which goes into steel. Is this one that you like? Uh, well, I, I am, you know, well, if you're, you know, in the electric vehicle space, if you believe that the consensus is that there'll be high demand for nickel going forward and copper, of course, um, you know, you'd be bullish in this sector. However, uh, I'm not on this particular stock. I mean, number one for me, um, and this is what I've uh, learned over nearly 40 years and 40 years in the markets is, you know, don't buy against the trend. And this trend is, is not your friend. That's for sure right now. So, uh, you know, fundamentally, look, it's got some solid numbers and, and, you know, the outlook for the company going forward is increasing their production um, as well. So, you know, the, there's a good outlook in terms of production for the company. Um, you know, the, the metrics, when I'm looking at the, um, just the numbers here, you know, it's, it's very steady. There's an unfranked yield of about 5%. Um, you know, it's, on, it's not overly expensive. It's, it's below 10 earnings multiple as well but um, the only thing that again would um, have me not recommend this as a buy fundamentally it's solid 
And, and like I said, the outlook for their production is, is going to increase as well. In fact, I think um, from three and a half million tonnes to a targeted 10 million tonnes per mm. annum. So they've got a very good growth outlook. Um, however, just because of the trend, it's very weak at the moment. Mm. So there's a negative sentiment uh, in regards to the stock. So I would wait. I'd have it on my watch list right now. But certainly, you know, look, it's solid financially. Their balance sheet is very strong. They've also got a, a company coming in, a major shareholder who wants to inject, um, I think it's about 900 million into the company at a uh, dollar per share. So that needs to get through shareholder approval. So they obviously got a very bullish mm. outlook on the company as well um, and at a higher price, you know. Um, so that also adds a lot of weight. But, you know, there just seems to be a very negative sentiment uh, for whatever reason against this company. But again, I would just put on the watch list right mm-hmm. now yep. and see how they go with the uh, the capital raising and that gets approved and um, the company comes in that just, I'm just trying to find the name of it, but um, probably Daniel will know, but um, it's going to take a 19.9% shareholding mm. in Nickel Industries. So again, uh, that's a vote of confidence. Um, look, you can have a nibble at it, but again, yeah. one thing I've learned is just don't try and catch a falling knife. Absolutely. You know, and wait till you, the sentiment changes and becomes more positive. But I do like the underlying fundamentals of the company. Fair enough, and uh, yeah. particularly in this environment. Daniel, do you think this is a case of the macroeconomic uh, headwinds weighing on uh, a more you know, commodity stock like this one? Yeah, so to, just to add on, on what David mentioned, the nickel price has obviously come under quite a bit of pressure this year, um, and, and clearly that's, that's put a lot of downward sentiment of the stock, but mm. uh, it, it is tough. It is a really tough call because the nickel market is quite complex. And, you know, if, if you're not well aware, like you mentioned, Danielle, 70% of the market roughly goes into NPI for stainless steel. Only about 3% right now is, is really battery grade material. And obviously that's going to grow over time, but still, you know, the majority of nickel pricing and, and the nickel market is is quite you know, closely correlated to, to steel, um, which which is facing a few issues due to China. So, you know, there are kind of overhangs on the stock, but there are a lot of positive fundamental factors. I will say, um, like David mentioned, the placement um, was more of a strategic um, a strategic move by, I think it's a large either Indonesian or, or Singaporean group mm-hmm. um, that they're essentially giving them funding for a 10% acquisition uh, in a higher grade nickel project. And, and that type of nickel will likely be used in the battery supply chain. So, you know, over the past few years, the business has actually been transforming. You know, historically, it was mainly an NPI producer in Indonesia, which is obviously largest producer of nickel. But it has been trying to shift towards some of that, that higher grade material, get some of the, the margin uplift and benefit through that supply chain. So I think there are some reasons, you know, to be positive on this stock. Like David mentioned, you know, you always got to be careful of buying commodity stocks on the way down because because you know prices can always keep falling, but you know I, I think there is probably just enough here fundamentally to, to make it look attractive enough. So I think a nibble, you know, the, the old classic Osbiz nibble rating is quite fair. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't be you know looking to sell the stock at these prices, no. uh, and um, you know I think I think holding it is probably the right move. But if you're a bit more contrarian, uh, happy to go with that nibble rating. Yeah. Right. So we've kind of got two holes with possible wee nibbles going on. That sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? But nevertheless, <laughs> there's also been more some, of a. Yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, you know, more of an indication where you know, you, you want to buy slowly. You know, you're not going yeah. to come in in the market and and 
you know, initiate a full position at one point in time. No. You probably want to see how it goes over the next few quarters and, and uh, take your time with it. Indeed, indeed. Do you agree with that, David? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, you know, my sentiment exactly. Um, but there has been some controversy lately, uh, this, recently, about uh, some nickel um, supply, um, and it was, didn't turn out to be nickel. So um, that's the, the, there's been... From these guys or no, just no, generally no. in the market? Generally in the market. Okay. I, I, I didn't get the full news coverage of it, but I just heard that um, there's been some fraud happening mm. in the nickel supply market mm. so you know there's also been a lot of you know as you know there's nickel trading was suspended at some stage right. so i think there's a bit of a lack of confidence of regulation of what's going on there but this latest news i just heard um, this morning oh okay um so i haven't got the full details of it but uh, i think i'm sure you'll hear about it yeah well part of the supply chains is like the provenance of all these materials if you're doing electric vehicles is becoming increasingly significant so mm. i think you know manufacturers in the market are more and more looking to have 100 percent certainty yeah. over how these you know critical minerals metals everything how dirty they are etc so yeah. And also from where they're coming from, exactly. Indeed, indeed. I mean, Indonesia is also, you could consider a bit, a bit of a sovereign risk, yeah. Mm. I mean, I've, I've known in the past some companies that, uh, you know, had some <laughs> dodgy experiences. Yeah. Well, yeah. I used to broke Indonesian equities, so say no more. Okay. <laughs> that was my bread and butter back in the 90s with bearings. Anyway, let's crack on to our second stock, which is Sandfire Resources, picked by Stephen. So we're still very much, uh, I suppose, in the, the metal space. We're, you know, it's a big company, almost $3 billion, copper concentrate, gold and silver. Do you like it, David? Look, it is now after Oz Minerals was taken over by BHP, you could say now, you know, Sandfire is one of the leading mm. copper stocks or few copper stocks left in the market. Um, and, you know, look, at the moment, that their, their, their growth, their numbers haven't been impressive. Um, with Mateo in Spain, it's, that's expected to pick up, um, you know, and lower, and lower costs as well. But, um, you know, they've just had um, also, you know, the copper price has certainly not mm. been shooting the lights out. So, again, um, you know, look, looking at that chart on Sandfire, um, you'll see also the same chart on copper, you know. Yeah. So it very much follows, uh, like all commodity stocks, follows the, the, the price of the underlying commodity. And Sandfire is no different. Um, it's not a buy for me at the moment. It's also trading at a pretty high multiple. If I would like to buy this at lower levels. Mm -hmm. um, uh, if you've already got it, you might want to just consider holding it. Definitely. But uh, look, it's it's pretty fully priced up here. But like I said, I'd love to buy it at much lower levels and also see a more positive trend in the copper price, you yeah. know, which is expected, well, again, the expectation is that you know there'll be high demand and there's going to be a supply mm. constraint and you know so you'll see higher prices but yet from you know i, I i've learned one thing is you know I, I don't go on expectations i go on actual price action mm -hmm. and you know but right now look with the aussie dollar where it is and where the copper price i mean you know the miners uh, the copper producers are certainly you know getting some good margin here and no doubt sandfire um, have got a strong foundation for growth here going forward so you know it's a hold at best yeah uh, but personally i'd prefer to buy it at lower levels uh, fair enough daniel what do you think on uh, sandfire 
Yeah, look, it's an interesting company. And obviously, before Oz Minerals got taken over, I think it's fair to say that the majority of the market really didn't like this stock. They, they, they thought it was quite inferior uh, in terms of quality and quality of assets to, to its peers locally. And, you know, I would agree with that. I think, you know, back in the days when it ran the DeGrasse mine, that was, that was probably one of the best copper assets in the world in terms of just purely cash flow generation because the grades were so high. I think probably head grades of around 5%. So, you know, Matsu is probably about one, one and a quarter. So a very different portfolio of assets these days. Um, I think, you know, it, it, it probably does get a huge premium just because there is no real mm. direct um, exposure to, to copper assets unless you want to take a diversified view, you know, via the major. So it does trade on a premium just purely for that reason. You know, that probably isn't enough for me to say it's worth you know holding or buying the stock. I'd probably actually give it a sell rating. I think um, if you look at copper prices, yes, they're very high relative to to where they usually trade. But you know, in conjunction with that, operating costs have gone through the roof, and mm-hmm. um, capex as well has, has absolutely soared for this company. There's there's a lot to go through in terms of some of the development and exploration at Matza in Spain, and obviously the, their project in Botswana as well. Coming to the coming to the start of, of commissioning, but still a, a lot of kind of execution risk there too. So uh, I probably think on the basis of probabilities, you know, this stock w- will struggle to head its head north from here, um, based on that. And then you know, overall, if we do have a weakening in copper prices, that, that will be um, a big concern for this company. You know, they, they're trading with about almost 500 mil in net debt. And because of those expansion requirements, you know, they're not going to be making too much in cash over the next few years. So you know, I, I can probably justify staying out of this stock for now um, and potentially giving it a revisit in about 12 months' time. Fair enough. That uh, the, the the economic slowdown. I mean, we're seeing it in Europe. I mean, obviously China is having problems, but certainly in a, you know the US, it's it's been slower to come. So resources stocks generally, this very broad bush, seem to have held up quite a, quite well relatively. We're all waiting for that cyclical downturn. Do, do you know what I mean? Oh, totally. I mean, look at what Daniel's those comments that Daniel made are very relevant, and you know, in terms of the costs pressures as well, Mm. Um, you know, and I agree, you know, with the capital expenditures, um, you know, that's why um, I I personally like Daniel would not be buying it, Mm. buying the stock. And, you know, I can understand probably why it'd be rated as, why he's rating it as a sell as well, you Mm. know, depending on when you got in, but, you know, I always make sure you got your stops in place, that's for sure. Indeed. But, um, you know, I I prefer other, the other, the, the main, space that I like right now is the precious metals. Mm. You know, if I'm looking at your biggest bang for your buck right now, that's the space that I, I like at the moment selectively. Fantastic. Okay, let's shift gears to the third stock, which is Webjet, ticker code WEB, W-E-B, picked by Scott. And Scott said, I'm convinced there's more upside on travel and leisure. Do the experts agree? David, have we YOLO'd ourselves out of travel yet? Yeah. Uh, look, I don't agree. I, I personally think, look, it's very much driven by, you know, if you look at the current Aussie dollar, which is trading at its lows at 64. I mean, would you be keen to be traveling at the moment? Um, it's the same with, um, you know, if you look at Flight Center and Webjet, they're trading at extremely high multiples up here. Yes, there's been, you know, since COVID, the post-COVID, um, people have just rushed out, wanted to get overseas and, you know, mm-hmm. um, travel. But I, I, I think that's, you know, what you're paying on the multiple here. Um, not just for Webjet, but like I said, for um, mm. Flight Center as well. 
Although Qantas came out with some really good numbers, um, it's not the same in the same vein. But just these two, this stock, I, I, to me, it's an avoid. I'd be selling it personally. Okay. I'd just or take profits. Fair enough. That's for sure. So definitely not a buy. And I think there's going to be more pressure mm. on air travel going forward or people traveling. Uh, internationally, especially with uh, where the Aussie dollar is. Indeed, it's certainly not cheap. Daniel, what do you think of Webjet? Yeah, look, I, I certainly see um, where David's coming from in those comments, but you know, if, I still see the, a resilience in travel in the near term. I mean, if you look at kind of what Qantas was saying in their result, domestic demand um, is very, very high at the moment and, and probably going to stay uh, remain elevated over the next few years. The, the only thing that could be a bit of a risk is that you're starting to see, I guess, pricing for things like airfares um, and hotel rooms start to start to trickle down. I think Qantas called out um, that I think the first half of FI23 was probably the peak in airfare prices. And obviously, Webjet, you know, they're, they're kind of um, tack on the margin on the total booking value. So that could be a bit of a headwind for them, even if demand stays strong. Probably the biggest risk I'd be concerned about right now. But, um, you know, the quality of the business, it, it's obviously – very, very high, fantastic. Webbeds um, itself has extremely high um, operating margins there, and and that's that's growing. It's well above, you know, pre-COVID levels. Um, obviously, through acquisition and through continued growth in the Americas as well. So, I probably wouldn't look, be looking to sell it. You know, quality business like this, you, you'd probably be better off holding it for the long term. Um, obviously, it will be cyclical, but the fact that it can still take so much market share, I mean, you know, it probably has less than four percent of, say, the American market in that Webbeds business. So, that should help offset some cyclical weakness going forward. And obviously, you know all the capital raising throughout throughout the years in COVID. Now it's on a net cash balance sheet. Um, doesn't require too much overhead capex uh, to grow. So, you know, I still think this business looks relatively attractive, but at these prices, you probably wouldn't be buying more. Um, you'd just be happy to hold it. Fair enough. And let's go now to the fourth stock, which is Aluka Resources, ticker code ILU, picked by Mike. So uh, we're, we're now into uh, Zircon, Zircon and Titanium, mm. $3.5 market cap. Mm. David. Yeah, look, uh, the trend has been horrible uh, since, uh, <laughs> I mean, just since June. Uh, yeah, the stock's it's grim, isn't it? Have a look mm. at that. You know, mm. t- talk about ca- trying to catch a falling knife. Look, down here, um, I've got to say, it's probably a little bit overdone. Um, I would be tempted to have a nibble. Uh, it seems to me like it's it's um, what they call, um, you know, when, uh, uh, what do they call it? Uh, the word I'm trying to think of is when uh, the, all the buyers give up and just... Capitulate. S- capitulation, that's it. Looks like a bit of a capitulation at this point here, and you can see it's come down to those previous. It does have a track record of doing support. that sort of huge sell-off? I was just having a look at that last chart, and it woof down yeah. it goes. So technically, it's come down to a really key support right. level here. Um, I think it's a little bit overdone. Look, there's softer commodity prices for um, Brutal and the mineral sands that they're involved in. They are going to expand um, into uh, rare earth minerals as well. But I just think, um, look down here. There's, um, there's some value um, proposition, I think, uh, for a Luca, but you wouldn't be aggressive buyer. I just think, look, the numbers look pretty good to me as well, you know, but, um, and they got a, a you know, small dividend yield, around 3%. But um, I think down here, like analysts have a, a price r- a target, well, that would probably change, you know, around 11 bucks. Mm. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, down here, look, I'm, I'd be tempted It's um, to, to have a nibble down here, but not being aggressive, only yeah. because it does look like a bit of a washout here. Mm, fair enough, fair enough. Now, would uh, Daniel, would you be tempted to start to uh, do some bottom fishing in this stock? <laughs> oh, look, it's very interesting. And uh, I think if you probably zoom out to more of a, a five-year basis, you know, Luke has done incredibly well. Um, Zircon prices, and, and it's the world's largest producer uh, of Zircon, and, and pricing has doubled um, over the last five years, probably mostly due to, to some severe supply constraints within that market. You've had no real supply growth at all in mineral sands, and, and there's a reason behind that. You know, a lot of producers globally have struggled with labour, struggled with costs, uh, and some have struggled um, with some of the jurisdictions they operate in. So, you know, Iluca itself has been in what I would consider a bit of a purple patch uh, in terms of operating performance. It's, you know, had record profits, I think, in FY22, and it's now starting to come back down. But the most interesting part of this stock probably isn't in the mineral sands itself. It's actually in what they're building in the rare earths industry. So they stockpile one of the byproducts of mineral sands called monazite, and that contains rare earths. They've been stockpiling that since the 90s. So they have a huge kind of back backfill or, or tailings um, uh, uh, concentrate amount which they can process going forward into rare earths. And they've recently approved, you know, a huge one billion dollar plus facility um, in Western Australia, and and you know that's almost being entirely financed by the government. I couldn't believe when I saw that that the um the export facility, you know, they're giving them a one billion dollar non recourse loan at a low rate. That, wow. that, that's just incredible. Wow. If you're a shareholder in this business, yeah, I mean you, you're pretty much getting a, a free kick by the government there. So that that's really what. I'm looking forward to um, if I was buying this stock. I, we've had a look at it um, around that $10, $11 mark. We're probably saying, look, you'd, you'd probably rather be selling it than buying it. But now it's starting to, to get me tempted. That rare earth business will probably be about half the size, I'd say, of what Linus is right now. And obviously, Linus is a, is a much, much bigger company. So I think there's definitely a lot of interest here from my point of view. Um, we'll be doing a lot of work on it, no doubt, going forward. Um, at this price, you know, similar to nickel mines, I'd probably give it the the old Ausbiz nibble, um, but but probably more preferring just to hold at the moment. Okay, fair enough. Interesting, very interesting. And our fifth stock is JB Hi-Fi ticker code JBH picked by Reagan. And Reagan said, "Is the panel seeing strength in the retailers and in JB Hi-Fi in particular?" David, they did have good results. They are have been resilient thus far. I suppose can yeah. it continue? No, that was a good result. And look, over the last three years, they've been consistent. Mm. JB Hi-Fi. Um, however, you're looking forward. I think there's pressures from the you know consumers with uh, high interest rates, and you know you've got a lot of mortgages coming off uh, fixed, going into variable as well. I mean, you've had uh, increasing oil prices, so there's a lot of pressure on the consumer, and especially again with JB Hi-Fi, especially uh, with the Aussie dollar being mm. where it is, uh, that's going to also put pressure on their margin and import costs. So, um, so I, I think there's going to be pressure going forward, like I said, on their margin and uh, consumer uh, demand as well. So for me, I would, I would actually not be a, a, a buyer, I'd be a seller out here up at this level. I'd look at JB Hi-Fi later, but you know, I just don't like the, the economic outlook and the, um, the consumer pressures that the consumer's facing at the moment with, like I said, with high inflation and 
interest rates and all the other uh, increases. Well, plus, you know, globally, just, you know, where's the world? The world's slowing down. You've got um, China has got some problems at the moment with their, with mm. their um, growth outlook. So, you know, we're very much heavily reliant on China. So then if we go into a recession, which is my f- forecast mm. going forward, then you're going to see rising unemployment. That's going to add more pressures. Sure. So yeah. I would avoid the retail sector right mm. now. Yes, indeed. And uh, Daniel, it's, it's uh, you know, David's comments make sense to me. And the other thing that springs to mind with Apple, they're about to launch, I think, the iPhone 15. Can you imagine the cost of that with the Aussie dollar at 64 cents? I won't be upgrading. But anyway, I digress. Daniel, what do you think of uh, JB Hi-Fi? Yeah, look, I think fair to say the last few months um, of the financial year, everyone was starting to get extremely bearish on retail and, you know, analysts were starting to to predict a bit of a retail Armageddon and, uh, you know, fair to say that's yet to happen. Uh, I'm actually shocked on the operating performance and the trading update that JB Hi-Fi released. So, you know, I couldn't believe it. We sold the stock at $43 back in March um, and we thought we were doing the right thing. And if anything, you know, it's paid good dividends and, and held its price since then. So, yeah, this is one that's that's probably dumbfounded us. To be fair, I think, you know, CBA called out one third of mortgage holders are still yet to feel the impact of rising interest rates. So, it still could be that lagged effect. But, you know, e- even the trading update was, was still quite strong and, and above where consensus was pricing in so you're starting to see a bit of weakness and i guess some of the the larger format goods like the good guys you know it's definitely had quite significant margin compression and, and a slowdown in sales but you know the, the distribution of jb hi-fi itself <laughs> was still very strong you know uh, i just can't believe it and you know, i went to my local westfield the other week and, and jb hi-fi was still packed with people looking mm. at tvs and everything so look it, it seems like the the business is going to be holding up well for now it has a huge cash position on the balance sheet no doubt it'll be looking to to return that through dividends uh, potentially specials or even buybacks you know it's obviously done buybacks in the past so you know I, I think there's justification here to hold the stock for now it certainly hasn't deteriorated and has a reputation for being one of the best retailers in the country so perhaps you want to be a little bit you know i, I guess counter cyclical when it comes to these high quality retailers um you know that they can continue to, to outperform because expectations are really low it's not as if we're expecting you know growth uh, and, and then the company might disappoint on that end you know consensus is pricing in pretty significant falls in earnings per share. So I still think the stock looks reasonable. Fair to say, I think we've been wrong on the call since March. Uh, and, and I think, you know, you can probably continue to hold this for now, especially if you're more of a, a longer term um, investor is happy to ride out that cycle. You know, even though it's, I would say, X growth, the fact that it has so much cash probably means that it could make acquisitions and, and going forward and, you know, they have a history of, of doing well with that. Indeed. Those companies that have the cash on the balance sheet are in a much stronger position. Great. Mm. Well, let's just sum up where we're at. And stock of the day was Wes Farmers, who have come up with a great set of results. And I'll be actually speaking to the CEO, Rob Scott, later today at around 3.45 p.m. in the last call. But nevertheless, our two experts, both of them really like the stock, both of them are 
really highlighted the strength of these results. But equally so, the share price is to a large degree reflecting the quality of the results and the strength of the results. So both David and Daniel have a hold on Wes Farmers. Turning to the first stock of the five that you have picked today, Nickel Industries. Well, really interesting here because you have had a great weakness in, well, not only the steel industry, steel pricing, therefore um, the pig iron nickel that goes into that, but the company looks to be trying to transition to a higher quality nickel, which could go into the likes of the automotive sector. So down at these price levels, both David and Daniel have what is termed an Ausbiz nibble slash hold. Then if we go to Sandfire Resources, well, we have seen a re-rating of this stock on the back of the fact that there aren't a lot of pure play copper uh, exposures on the ASX post BHB buying Oz Minerals. Uh, but uh, at the moment, David has basically um, not a buy, a hold on the stock, cautious about the copper price going forward and uh, just worth highlighting from uh, Daniel that he feels that it is expensive. He has a sell 500 million in net debt and they need to keep investing. So a sell on that one. Webjet, really interesting, two diverse views from our experts. Uh, so David really feels the high Australian, I mean, low Australian Aussie dollar is going to deter a lot of people from continuing that international travel. He feels that we're all going to feel higher costs of living. So he has an avoid slash sell on Webjet, whereas Daniel feels that there's been tremendous resilience here and there is particularly resilience in the domestic market, although cautions with Webjet taking a clip on uh, both the airfare and the hotels. And if those prices are coming down, they could have some pressure there on their earnings. So he has a hold, great quality company, uh, but possibly just a hold at this stage. Looking at Aluka Resources, um, we have uh, David basically saying, feels the trend has been overdone. This one's possibly getting into a oversold slash capitulation by shareholders. Would start to nibble on this one. And uh, Daniel, as very much they've moved this back onto their radar as one to watch also a hold slash Osby's nibble. Just really interesting in terms of the transition potentially of um, Iluka to move towards the rare earths through its monocyte uh, sem uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Tailings concentrate that they have been able to accumulate over the years. So then JB Hi-Fi, great, great quality retailer, one of the best in Australia. Great results, much better than expected and showing tremendous resilience. However, macro headwinds, according to David. So he would be selling this one. And uh, whereas Daniel just, uh, they, they sold it at $43. A bit surprised that it's continued to do so well. It is a hold. They've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet at the moment, so could be possibly either uh, giving higher dividend payouts or share buybacks and looking to possibly make strategic acquisitions. 
Now let's move on to the, uh, the portfolio and the call is tracking our own high conviction fund which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the committee meeting is live for you to watch at osbiz.com so let's check in with the portfolio update. Going into August index was replaced by AUB and the committee spent on cash 1% went to each of Seek, Altium and Prometicus and let's see how the portfolio is performing. Uh, so far our fund is 7 spot 81% on a cumulative return basis since inception on March 1st 2022. So keep sending in your requests and keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. And just as a casual observer I do see those numbers for the portfolio have picked up really nicely with Altium and Promaticus which had great results and great share price re-rates post those results. Nevertheless let's crack on to the second half of the call and the second lot or the, the last five stocks picked by you and uh, we have some crackers in here Harvey Norman, Charter Hall, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank as well as Lend Lease and Boral. And our sixth stock, Harvey Norman, ticker code HBN picked by David. Let's swap this around. Daniel, do you like Harvey Norman? Yeah, look, uh, I think some of my comments in, in regards to JB, more specifically in what's going on with the good guys at the moment, probably apply to Harvey Norman. Obviously, they're more exposed to those large ticket household item goods um, that, uh, that they sell in their shops. And it is a bit of a different business model. Obviously, in Australia, it's focused on the franchise um, business model, whereas JB, you know, corporate owned stores. The, the big thing here is that, you know, the, the, the bears will say, look, um, there's a lot of kind of governance issues with this stock. Uh, they have a history of of some funny accounting measures, um, writing off loans to to um, uh, writing off loans that they have to the franchisees is one of them, and, and that, I think that's a pretty big one to be honest. But the bulls will say, you know, it's trading at an incredibly cheap price below actually the book value of its property. So there's an argument either way here. I think from our perspective, you know, we would probably rather not be in it. It's probably facing a greater risk of margin compression than a company like JB Hi-Fi. Um, the, the big thing I'd point out is that, um, you know, group EBIT margins in FY22 were about 26%. You know, consensus has this coming down to around 15% going forward. So, you know, we're talking about a huge contraction here. And obviously, that they have a significant pile of debt on the balance sheet to, to, that's backed by that property. So, I think there's more reason to be bearish on this one. I, I would actually even be happy to, to exit the stock. Its report is coming up. So, perhaps you'd want to wait and see there. The big things to be focusing on, on certainly the inventory position. Um, that they report going forward. So that would be the big risk, whether or not they, they're going to be facing discounting or not. So that's that's the biggest thing investors need to be aware of. Um, and overall, on the basis of, of, of all possibilities, I'd probably give this one a bit of a sell, to be honest. Fair enough. David? Um, I'd be holding this for mm -hmm. the result next week, next uh, Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, look, I, I, I really liked... Um, Harvey Norman when it was down at those lows at three dollars twenty, mm -hmm. I was definitely a buyer down there. I, I'd, I wouldn't be selling here at the moment. I'd be waiting. I think um, for the dividend, it's on a fantastic yield, and so following on the on the footsteps of JB Hi-Fi, I think mm -hmm. uh, you know you could be surprised by the result that Harvey Norman uh, comes out with next week, um, and maybe there's a special div as well. I mean, incredibly, the company had its probably best year ever in during COVID. 
when they you know paid off half a billion dollars in debt mm -hmm. so financially they're in a very good strong financial position uh, and with their underlying property market uh, the portfolio as well it you know it gives that foundation so I, I really like it here I, I wouldn't be a seller I'd definitely be a holder mm -hmm. and I'd be waiting for especially if you bought it at the lower levels mm -hmm. and waiting for that result next Thursday fair enough uh, yes indeed now uh, seven stock is a charter hall picked by a Josh ticker code CHC, and this one's um, it really it almost has a um, portfolio management arm to it in terms of massive fund inflows over the last few years. Daniel, do you like charter hall? Yeah, it's an interesting one, Danielle, and I'd agree with you. It's probably the biggest driver of business performance, that funds management arm. Uh, obviously, it's it's a much better stream of recurring revenue than, say, purely um, owning or trading property assets is, and that's why this one is such an interesting stock. I think fair to say, you know, retail was probably where the Armageddon was being focused on uh, by analysts heading into the reporting season, but I'd say REITs has been where it's uh, actually played out. There's been a, a lot of shocking results uh, in this industry this season so far. Charter Hall, look, obviously it's facing the same issues as everyone. Um, there's a significantly lower demand for investment in property assets, so its net flows are, are coming down really quickly. The biggest thing is that the last few years it reported huge performance fees um, and was booking hundreds of million dollars purely in, in performance fees, which we all know go straight to the bottom line, uh, and when those disappear, they come uh, straight out of the bottom line. So <laughs> that's why earnings has been heading down pretty significantly, expected to fall again next year. Um, but you know that that should. Really be no surprise to people who, who follow the stock. Um, going forward, you know, that they've built such an entrenched reputation um, within kind of the retail and the advisor network for property investing. And, you know, they have actually outperformed most of the benchmarks um, that, that they refer to as well. So, you know, I think they do have a great brand. You know, funds management, it's grown that recurring revenue piece. And I had this as in, in its presentation. And I'll just refer to the numbers here FY, FY13, 117 million in revenue. FY23, 551 million. And that's probably wow. about 70% you know, operating margins there. So, you know, it's, it's an excellent business and it's facing all these issues um, that the whole industry is facing. Uh, but, you know, it's probably being priced into the stock. So if you're bullish, if you're bullish property, this is probably one of the ones that you'd like to be attached to. Um, so I'm happy to give this a bit of a contrarian buy. Uh, we're, we're putting little tags on the names today. So stick with that. Um, and, and I think the valuation does look quite appealing. Interesting. Looking yeah. through the cycle, one might say. David, are you going to look through the cycle on Charter Hall? <laughs> uh, look, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have it. A, it. It doesn't sort of shoot the lights out for me in terms of wanting to rush out and buy it. Uh, look, if you got it, it'd be a hold. It wouldn't be a sell down here. Um, I, the numbers, look, in terms of uh, REITs, it's, it, it is a quality REIT. They've got some really good quality properties. Uh, although, you know, there's there's a fairly big rate weighting towards the the office mm. a, a commercial office area which is as you know has been hammered mm. um, so you know their their guidance seems um, you know they're they're saying that they're expecting a six percent growth over the next year which is pretty good um, but again I can't get too excited about you know there's other areas that I'd rather be investing than yeah. putting it into this right now fair enough but um, but if you've got it it's a hold as far as I'm concerned and um, you know, look, they've got also you know good quality tenants. You know, mm. they've got government mm. multinationals, 
in there as well. So, you know, they've got a very good um, base of tenants for the next, um, you know, seven to 10 years of, um, of um, you know, 98% occupancy. So that's pretty good, you know, that, that quality of tenants that they've got. Um, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah, look, I just can't get too excited about fair it. Fair enough, fair enough. It seems to be applicable to most of the REITs at the moment. Anyway, our eighth stock is Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, ticker code BEN, picked by Edward. Daniel, uh, a regional bank. I did uh, discuss the banks, I think, yesterday. And uh, this was actually, if you had to buy, we were talking about Bank of Queensland. And if you had to buy a regional bank, Bendigo and Adelaide was the was the way to go if you wanted that exposure. What do you think? Oh, look, I, I would agree on that comment. Out of the two, I'd probably go with Bendigo. But, you know, I think our preference is to, to avoid the regionals altogether. You know, we were actually holding Bendigo into this result and it was actually quite a good result, to be honest. Um, certainly, uh, I would say some of the comments were a little bit optimistic and, and you know, the analyst who covers financials at Stock Doctor, he probably thought that was a bit of a cause for concern. So some of the outlook comments, you know, in particular, you know, pertaining to cost guidance, we, we just looked really irregular when you compare it to what the other banks are saying. So, for example, Westpac were originally forecasting for flat cost growth. Um, they ended up having to revise it to 5% um, increase. So that's a pretty big delta for a bank. And, and here you have Bendigo, which, you know, should be facing similar pressures, uh, mm. uh, similar pressures to Westpac. And, and they've kind of uh, guided for, for um, you know, flat growth as well. So that's probably where we're a little bit concerned as well. They, they had elevated net margins. They're probably holding um, some of the pricing in the, in the deposit book you know, until after the results so they can kind of show a better net margin and, and outperform expectations. And that will obviously need to normalise going forward. So, yeah, on the basis of things, they are a better bank than Bank of Queensland. And we're happier with the kind of credit quality of the book in regards to, to BOQ. But you know, overall, you'd probably prefer just to be in a big four at this mm. point in the cycle. I don't think you're really getting a valuation premium at all for investing in Bendigo. It's really trading on the same kind of forecast income or forecast yield to the big four. Well, obviously, excluding CBA um, and like we said we, we actually see a little bit of downside risk in that forecast so we'd probably be happy to sell uh, and reallocate that capital to what we'd see as a higher quality bank. And that one would you like to give us a name? <laughs> oh look I think ANZ uh, and NAB probably uh, look the most appealing. Westpac has its own issues with costs <laughs> at the moment and CBA is just very expensive so play that middle ground and, and stick with those two and obviously NAB reported uh, excess capital on the balance sheet, returning that through buybacks as well. So, you know, there's obviously support for, for those big four. Okay, fair enough. Uh, David? Yeah, look, I, I'd be a seller of uh, Bendigo as well. I Look, putting, you know, in my past life, I used to be involved in banking. I was a financial controller of Barclays Bank in the 80s. Ah, so I went through, yeah, I went through the 80s and I got to tell you, that was a tough era. You know, we had high inflation, um, bad debts mm. escalating, um, you know, credit crunch. Uh, so I would be, you know, look, the banking sector as a whole mm. over the last three de 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 decades has been on a run like mm. Nirvana. You know, mm. I mean, just interest rates going down, debt going up, housing mm. market going up. Mm. It's been a perfect run. Mm. I would be personally avoiding all the banks right now. I know it's a big sector mm. in our market, and that's what concerns me. If there's going to be a real crunch coming, mm. it's going to be in that sector. 
and we haven't seen a recession for more than three decades. Now, let me tell you, when that comes, uh, everything changes because in banking, as soon as the bank starts losing money, they They'd shut the doors. Lending. They yeah. just stop lending and bad debts go through the roof, dividends get cut. Yeah. So it's a really high risk sector for me. Mm. It's complete avoid. I would not be in it whatsoever. Um, and for most people in you know, superannuation funds, whether direct or indirect, the weighting is huge mm, mm, in this mm. sector. Now, it's been fantastic. People will probably be, you know, um, cursing me right now saying this, mm. you know, but I'm just warning this has had a good run in the sector mm. and just watch out. Mm. Uh, the next 12 months will tell the story. So, uh, yeah, I just think there are too many downside risks versus upside. And uh, again, with the change in variable, you know, from fixed to variable for a lot of mortgages mm. out there, uh, you could see some, and with the threat of a slowdown globally, recession, rising unemployment, forget about interest rates, yeah. that's going to be the yeah. biggest issue. Indeed, yeah. indeed, if unemployment starts to go up. Totally, yes, I think uh, for those of us that live through those recessions, it's definitely uh, muscle memory. Especially when it's a credit crunch. Yeah, Especially right. when it's a credit crunch. I know they're very worried in the States about that, when the US banks have really closed their lending books as well, so. Well, look at their regional banks, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and they're then, in a you terrible know, mess. And even credit- the large banks, even, even Bank of America. Yeah. You know, they've got a huge mismatch between their assets and liabilities. Uh, I mean, in credit card debts hit, hit $1 trillion. trillion dollars, I, know. I mean, seriously. Mm. Yeah. Mean, They're starting um, to see a lot of, um, you know, defaults and everything coming through on those credit card payments. And yeah, anyway, I'm, okay. I'm getting off track again. So let's keep moving on. Ninth stock is Lendlease, a ticker code LLC, picked by Molly. Now, this is not the stock in my most humble opinion this that this used to be once upon a time um daniel are you do you like lend lease i mean it's all it's cheap <laughs> for good reason but yeah for good reason says david here but um yeah i'll keep my views to myself koala killers. yeah look sorry what did um, i say <laughs> <laughs> no, look, certainly uh, from, from my comments from Charter Hall, you know, there have been some some shocking results in this sector and, um, you know, it's been really challenging. And obviously for a company like Lendlease, their, their history and, and what made them such a great business over time was really like their, their asset development. So they were, you know, known as one of the best property developers in the world, obviously have built, you know, some very impressive buildings throughout that history. And over time, it just kind of diversified and grew and I think lost its way and um, obviously made some terrible kind of capital management calls that that engineering business they bought um, was a huge disaster I ended up selling it for, for service stream uh, but holding on to that that terrible metro tunnel project as well so yeah look it, it, it is a basket case you know obviously there's a huge valuation kind of um, huge valuation block that's being locked in their development pipeline like there's a lot of um there's a lot of value that can be realized through there but there's just so many other things in the business going on um that that really detract from that so yeah there's been value investors who have been burnt by this Mm. probably over the last two years constantly over and over again Uh, and the balance sheet which which we take obviously a huge look at is is deteriorating so yeah it, it does look interesting and and there is kind of a block of value in there but for us yeah, it's it's a pretty uh, stern avoid. Um, obviously, you can always monitor these stocks and look for a turnaround going forward. Um, but for now, you know, it, it does look quite challenged. 
Turnarounds are never easy though, are they, Daniel? I mean, how many companies really turn themselves around? It's, it's, sometimes it's quite challenging. Look, I think it does depend on kind of the industry and also how nimble a company can be. I would actually point out even Telstra, you know, that, that's, that's had a bit of a turnaround in recent years, you know, selling um, selling off some of its assets that it didn't need, raising capital, uh, focusing on what's actually the drivers of performance, which is obviously the mobile business. So they can be done. And, and when they are done, you obviously, you know, benefit incredibly as an investor. But as you mentioned, I would say probably eight out of 10 times, it, it doesn't end well, particularly when the balance sheet is not in a good shape because once you raise capital at lower prices mm. uh, you know you're permanently impaired there so it's it's a very dangerous scenario and and the perfect one to co- uh, to point out star casino oh dear yes go say say no more david do you like lendlease not at all not i at look all. you know just looking at the their cash flow statement is shocking you know <laughs> over the last five years it's just horrible I mean, you know, it's all that stuff too with the um, <laughs> consultants, the tax office, and everything. Yeah, they've had yeah. cost overruns. I mean, it's just mm. been a really poorly mm. managed business. I mean, look at the, like I said, I'm looking at here negative cash flow for the, this past year, 486 million just for operating activities mm. alone. You know, the previous year was 800, 835 negative. Mm. Then there was 468 positive yeah, the year it's before grim, that. Isn't it? yeah. 137 and 60. I mean, these numbers. Just on even purely on a cash flow basis, with the level level of debt the company's got, mm. I just this is a complete avoid and sell. As far as I'm concerned, there's just nothing, nothing stands out uh, for me that would say you know uh, have this be a screaming buy. That's for sure. Fair enough. Mm. Let's move then to our last stock, which is Boral, BLD, picked by Christopher. Now, this has been, uh, speaking of turnaround stories, uh, Daniel, on this one, uh, I think the divestment of the Fly Ash business and uh, uh, what is it, Seven Holdings, taking a chunk of it. Do you like it? Now, a perfect example of a turnaround and, and interesting that the turnaround's mainly due to, to probably a change in management strategy. Like you mentioned, selling underperforming assets, using that cash to reduce debt uh, and focusing on, on what makes the business good quality. So obviously the, the kind of building products division has faced its own cost pressures, um, but they've been able to counteract that. They've been putting up prices for, um, for the last few years and we even saw from the James Hardy result, you know, prices of, of building products have, have just gone through the roof mm. uh, and now that costs potentially are starting to moderate, they're, they're actually showing better margins um, than what analysts were expecting. So these guys that had a cracking result, you know, cash flow was much better than expected. Um, the guidance obviously was a little bit conservative saying that there are still pressures in the buildings material industry, um, but, you know, evidently the improved balance sheet, improved cash flow position, um, and and probably improved business quality is fair to say, and, and the stock market clearly likes that. So, you know, it, it's it's an improving um, business. There are probably still challenges ahead. Uh, the valuation is obviously re-rated as well. So, you know, looking forward, it does actually look quite expensive, I'd say. Yeah. So I think you can, you can probably justify a hold here going forward. Um, obviously, you want to manage these quite intensely as an investor you know you don't want to be holding them when things start to break down so you'd be holding it and watching it quite closely and and certainly looking at peers um when they report and to see what they're saying about margins as well 
Fair enough. So, do you like this one, David? Oh, look, yeah, the numbers are good. It's certainly a much, much better cash flow statement than the, the previous one would have been. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's got some momentum on the upside, certainly technically. But again, um, coming back to just what um, Daniel's comments about valuation, I, I, I wouldn't be chasing the stock up here. Oh. Uh, you'd be, for me, I'd be taking some profits and hold at best. Uh, but if you were going to buy it, I'd certainly look for lower levels, but certainly taking profits here. I mean, this whole sector has been mm. on fire, you know, since mm. you, know, you look at um, the, um, you know, the, like just the whole sector, the construction area has just been firing, but the multiples um, don't justify it to me mm. to buy up here and uh, to, certainly to take some profits. It's just that risk of pulling back. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. It has had a great, great run and cyclically we're probably, yeah, still quite challenged. So let's sum up the second five stocks of the call today, starting with Harvey Norman. And we have a hold from uh, David on that one. Uh, Definitely was a buy at $3.20. Wait for the dividend because the company will be reporting next Thursday. So don't sell at this stage. Uh, Daniel, more concerned looking at the pressures on the high ticket items that we saw at the good guys when um, JB Hi-Fi reported. Um, yes, it's trading below book value on all those property assets, but they've got lots of debt. He's concerned about the inventory and potential discounting. So Daniel has a sell on that. Looking at a charter hall and David has pretty much a sell, doesn't want to get involved in this one. Yes, it's a quality rate. Yes, that they've got quality tenants and great pro uh, properties, but no point being there. Uh, Daniel, however, is going to be far more uh, contrarian and has advocated for a contrarian buy on Charter Hall. And uh, just citing in terms of the great brand and how they have been able to increase those performance fees so substantially over the years. Moving to Bendigo and Adelaide Banks, well, David has a complete avoid on the banking sector including Bendigo and Adelaide Bank, very concerned about rising unemployment in Australia and a potential slowdown. And in that scenario, the banks stop lending. You have a bit of a credit crunch and, uh, you know, particularly regional banks will be even more hit. Um, in terms of Daniel, he would prefer, sees more value sitting in ANZ and National Australia Bank. Uh, Bendigo and Adelaide had great results, good results but too optimistic in terms of their cost outlook. Lendlease, uh, both I guess have an avoid on that stock. It has a multiplicity of problems, a deteriorating balance sheet, very poor returns, hard to turn around so an avoid. Uh, last but definitely not least, Boral, which has been a cracking performer. So a turnaround restructuring story as cited by Daniel. And you have seen these building materials companies like James Hardy putting up their prices to offset those cost increases. But a lot is discounted at this point in time in the share price. So Daniel has a hold and, uh, you know, uh, David uh, would be erring towards taking profits on Boral. And uh, well, sadly, that is it for the call today. We've run out of time, so we won't be able to do a quick summary 
of a reporting season, but nevertheless, a cracking show. Thank you so much, David, for joining me in the studio. Pleasure. Daniel, okay. thank you again for coming on the show. Great input as always. Gentlemen, have a lovely afternoon and a great uh, weekend. It thank is you. a happy Friday, even if the market is not as, uh, well, yay today. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet slash post us to us at TV. Don't go away. There is a lot more coming after the break with, I believe, Carl Rodder and The Pulse. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.